one of the credited screenwriters for Deep Impact claims that, you know, he had a lunch with a Disney executive who took copious notes and then whoopsie, Armageddon gets put into production pretty quickly thereafter. Okay, but also, like, if you are having a lunch with an exec at a competing studio and you're giving him all the information about the movie that you are currently in production on, it's kind of on you, man. Hello, Mission Recall listeners. I'm Oriana Schwinn. I'm Steve Parkhurst. And we finally have, we finally gotten around to our second double feature. Uh, we're feeling we're feeling a little end of daisy right now. Kind end of, of days e, not, not end, end of, of daisy. daisy. Uh, although Daisy knows what she did, so that bitch, that bitch. But um, so we've got Deep Impact and Armageddon facing off. Although it's like less of a face off and more of a a, a global killer, an extinction level event in that Armageddon wipes the fucking floor with deep impact. It's really interesting to to go back uh, and look at the critical receptions of deep impact and Armageddon. Armageddon, you know, kind of universally negative. Yeah, a lot of pans. Uh, Ebert said, said it was like the worst movie of 1998, which is just kind of wild to me. And everyone kept calling Deep Impact the serious, more grounded. More grounded, more scientific, more, you know, taking things very seriously. Because (laughs) all the critics panning this movie for it being dumb and over the top and ridiculous feels like a relic of the 90s Mm -hmm. where there was that sort of scoffing, like, It's so silly. It's so stupid. Oh, goodness. And a lot of Michael Bay stuff, we're diving into this very early, but like these days especially, there's been this sort of critical reappraisal of a lot of Michael Bay's specifically 90s movies. And I think it's more a result of the fact that blockbuster filmmaking these days is pretty dire. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, there's some really fun stuff in here. Like I feel like the 90s were the perfect era for Michael Bay yeah. where he knew how to craft an image and was just reined in enough to be Mm -hmm. able to still tell a coherent Mm -hmm. story. Like, I'm happy to kind of critically reappraise the guy in some respects, but, like, I have tried to rewatch a Transformers movie recently, and those things are unwatchable dreck, and I will not abide anyone trying to say they're good. Mm -mm. Like, I'm sorry, all of them are bad, and that's not to say there aren't good images in those movies they do it does still happen he's still capable of crafting a very fun exciting dynamic colorful colorful kinetic shot but his abilities as a storyteller have suffered i'm saying all this with the caveat that i haven't seen ambulance (laughs) i've heard mixed things i don't know and it's it's kind of long armageddon though is also kind of long yeah so i guess we're getting ahead of ourselves here armageddon and deep impact are both pretty long deep impact is just is two hours not in two hours and 11 minutes or something Something like that yeah and Uh, and armageddon is a full two and a half hours yeah uh and the funny thing there though is that there are definitely parts of armageddon that could be trimmed oh yes and we'll get into those but overall it feels shorter than deep impact it moves. It moves. It moves. Deep Impact, unfortunately, is kind of a slog. And I hate to say it because it's a great cast. And 
I like Mimi Later, who was the the director. She I know I I knew her from her work on ER primarily. Like and at that point in time, that was like the big shit that she had had done. And she is responsible for like some of the best episodes of ER. Truly fantastic television, television that moves and is innovative uh, while still being very grounded. And like none of that is none, none of that happens in Deep Impact. It's yeah. baffling. So for context, Mimi Leader is a later or a leader. Oh shit! I don't know. I don't know. We sorry, can... sorry to to Mimi. Uh, so she's a producer and director who is mostly in television, like you said. I'll just kind of go through some of her directing credits here. There's The Morning Show, The Leftovers, On the Basis of Sex, Shameless, Almost Human, Smash, Luck, Nashville, ER. Uh, the West Wing. She is kind of a legend. She's very good. Uh, and you can see, especially because she had just been doing so much ER, which was the biggest show of, at the time yeah. in, in the late 90s, was a juggernaut. Absolutely. And ER moves. Mm-hmm. Like, ER has propulsion. Mm-hmm. I could see why she would seem like a great choice yeah. for Deep Impact. It's this big action movie with a huge ensemble cast, a lot of moving mm-hmm. parts. It's a natural choice. Yeah. I totally I totally see it. There are some like editorial decisions that that do not help this movie, but of course it always starts with the screenplay. Yeah. I kind of wanted to mention this in the beginning. This is our second episode of doing a face-off. Uh, not the movie face-off, no. but a face-off. No, we'll get to that at, at some point. We'd need to, actually. Yeah. The first one was Volcano and Dante's Peak. And the fun thing there was that we came at it from differing points of view. Yeah. You're Volcano Stan. Woo! I'm a Dante's Peak fan. Although I did have to acknowledge that Dante's Peak was technically the better movie, even though I enjoyed Volcano more. Well, and I guess I didn't have to acknowledge necessarily <laughs> that Volcano is better, but I did acknowledge that Volcano has some great parts. Yeah. I think like the beginning of that movie it's is superior so even to, to Dante's yeah. Peak. But that was the fun of that episode is that we found some common ground. But uh, also got to a little, got a to little, have little, a little friction there. Yeah, a little fencing. This time we were both pretty Just much exactly solidly, on the same page. Solidly on, on Team Armageddon. Yeah. And for me, this was like the first PG-13 movie I ever saw, I think. And I saw it in theaters uh, with like a friend from swim team. Her mom took us. <laughs> uh, and it was like a really fun, a really fun outing. And Armageddon is a fantastic movie to have seen in the theaters. I still remember just like the booming sure. and the, oh my God. I genuinely cannot remember if I saw this in the theaters, which is funny. I did have it on VHS and watched it endlessly. And the funny thing is I also saw Deep Impact, a Around when it came out. It might have been on VHS as well. Mm. What's funny is that my memory of Deep Impact matched pretty closely with how I felt about it this time. I hadn't oh. seen it more or less since it came out. Yeah. And I was right. Then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember being kind of bored, kind of underwhelmed, and kind of just like, where's the asteroid? Where's the Right. Comet? The biggest problem with Deep Impact is it's so unfocused and everything important happens off screen. There was a moment that I remember distinctly from my childhood 
of a big event happening completely off screen. And then the president, Morgan Freeman, comes on and is just like, it didn't work. And it's like, hold on. A and second. I remember <laughs> seeing it at the time and being like, wait, sorry, what now? Like, why didn't we see Why it didn't I work? see that? And like, okay. That happened several times. That's multiple points, something really important happens. And we're told, like, either Taya Leone's weirdly kind of miscast uh, MSNBC, she becomes an anchor over the course of the movie, but like, that's not her arc. It's kind of weird. Either she tells us or the president tells us in a weirdly scientific lectury way. Like a lot of choices here are just fucking baffling. There's a lot of moments in this movie that feel like a tape that your science teacher would put on yeah. in sixth grade. They'd wheel out the big TV. Narrated by Morgan Freeman. Yeah. And it would be just sort of awkward and like canned and, and not very interesting. And that's it. There were like three or four times in this movie where it's just like, sit down and take your medicine. Here's how comets here's, work. Here's a comet. The tail is actually the the coma. Which, Com- yeah, comet? sure is. I think it was pronounced coma. coma. Yeah. Show me stuff. Armageddon fucking opens with the space space shuttle and New York being destroyed by meteors. Yeah. I just had a thought when you were talking about Taya Leone's character in Mm. this. She's an MSNBC uh, journalist. Researcher? Researcher slash journalist who wants to be an anchor. And she gets that. It's not really an arc. It happens almost immediately where she is given the anchor role. They discover that the comet is on track to hit the Earth and it'll do so in... In a year. And then it's like, oh, and then it's five months later. We just keep cutting in time and... In weird ways. Very weird ways and all the important stuff happens off screen. Both of these movies have kind of weird timeline issues. Yeah. But like they're opposite where... They are. (laughs) Things happen too rapidly and like... There's too much of a time crunch in Armageddon. And then too much of a time stretch in Deep Impact. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so you watch news radio right oh yeah Yeah. so there's an episode i remember where phil hartman's character gets an opportunity to be on television he's going to be like an anchor and they do a test you know a screen test Mm. for phil hartman and he absolutely bombs he just looks awful and sleepy (laughs) and like blotchy (laughs) and this just reminded me like tay leone as the anchor in this is a lot like phil hartman in that news radio episode she just looks comatose she's it's just like a sentient ambient pill somebody shot her full of ketamine yeah and like she's a great actor too like she's good in lots of other things sure but she feels not even miscast just kind of misdirected i think she could have been good for the role but like the choice Choices either by her or by the director, whoever it was, somebody should have stepped in because it's just like not a good choice as a character and for this movie. Well, why are we following her? We were talking about this while we were watching it, not to take this movie away from a woman and give it to a man, but this movie kind of needed Roland Emmerich. It did. Like 90s Roland Emmerich. Or at least someone with his sensibility, you know? So watching this, you could see how Emmerich would... Mm -hmm nail it because it's a big ensemble it's a big disaster it kind of screams for his 90s touch which was pretty magical he was so good at establishing characters kind of immediately and making you care about them 
in very short bursts. Yeah. Like, okay, this isn't the 90s, but uh, The Day After Tomorrow is just a fucking banger of a sure. movie. And it's maybe the best example. I mean, maybe when we go back and watch Independence Day, Which that'll we're be... we're going to do soon for Independence Day. Watch, watch out for that. I think a lot about The Day After Tomorrow where you have like a character like Ian Holm and his there's two other guys with him and their little, you know, Northern Scottish shack where they watch weather buoys and shit and they get snowed in and we only get very short scenes with them yeah but we give a shit about these people like immediately and I feel very sad when they have to die. His ability to imbue every character with personality and almost everyone will have some kind of mini arc. And it can be something as simple as like father has to reconnect with son. Woman has to be less selfish Mm -hmm. or, you know, so-and-so has to learn to love life again. Whatever it is, like it doesn't have to be big. It's usually just one little thing. And that can sound silly in the context of the world is ending, Mm -hmm. but that's how you get people to care about your movie like you will kind of lose people if it's all disaster all the time you need that hook of like familiar character Mm -hmm. beats deep impact just doesn't do that for anyone Anyone. no one has an arc the pacing no one has an arc and the pacing is a disaster people appear and disappear for way 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 too long one of the most egregious missteps of the movie is the is having james cromwell play what seems to be a pivotal role in the the first half hour or state uh treasury which is yeah that that's insane first of all the whole first half hour of this movie is spent thinking that there's a sex scandal in the white house yeah and it involves james cromwell who is never seen again. No, he just disappears on a boat. We never see him again. James Cromwell had just done Babe. He was a bankable, well-known star. People liked seeing him in things. Why would you just have him for literally one scene? Oh my God, yeah, it really was. Yeah, I actually think it could have been a fun little bit that they did where she thinks it's a sex scandal while they all know that it's the end of the world. And they kind of hint at that, but it just, it could have been played for laughs. It's also, that's the kind of dramatic irony I I really don't need in my sure. Comet Killing the Earth sure. movie. No. It just, it's it's one of those things where it's like, why? Why is this our entry point? What are, what are we doing It's here? not the choice I would have made, no, but if you're well, going to make that choice, you could have been funnier Funnier. about it like but as it is it's so many of these choices are baffling especially in the beginning of the movie when you're trying to establish tone we start really with the astronomy club seeing the thing and we have this cute little banter cute-ish attempt at cute banter between Frodo Baggins (laughs) and Lily Sobieski and Elijah Wood uh, yeah (laughs) okay that's cute and then it just disappears for an hour? They give their data to this Dr. Wolf guy who then dies in a car accident and it doesn't matter? That's it what's doesn't so weird. matter. I actually misremembered it thinking like he dies and that's why... There isn't enough time. There isn't enough time like he had the data. But then it just cuts to, we got this info from Dr. Wolf. It's like he... Drove off a cliff into a fireball. How did, How did you, you get, get the this? data? It was on a floppy disk that I imagine burned up. Yeah, there was this whole thing about how the servers weren't working, yeah. so he couldn't email it. It's just like this big setup for something that never happens. It could have just as easily been Dr. Wolf made a phone call and yeah. we're off and running. That's where the problems in the edit come in, because yeah. it feels like a storyline that kind of got truncated, which is great, cool, fine, sure. but then cut it all. 
You can't have these dangling... Yeah, there's a lot of dangling parts and a lot of truncated storylines, but it feels like every single storyline was truncated in a way that, like, instead of just focusing on the crew Mm -hmm. or Elijah Wood or the president, instead of really just narrowing down and focusing, they still tried to have this big ensemble movie. As a result, nobody got enough time. It wasn't cut in a way like I think Emmerich cuts between different people and scenes much more Mm -hmm. quickly. And this is like, we're going to spend 25 minutes with these people and then 25 minutes with these people. And then by the time you get back to the third people, you forgot that they were even there. Mm -hmm. And like Elijah Wood, I feel like actually got the shortest shrift of this. Him and Lily Sobieski have this whole weird love story thing That like, you know, they hint at it in their first scene together and then we lose them for an hour. Yeah. We come back to them and it's like, we've discovered that the comet is going to hit the earth and there's that weird thing where like, oh, we thought he's dead, but he's not. And it's like, what the fuck is this doing in the movie? Why is this here? It doesn't affect anything. It doesn't. But then all of a sudden they're together and we don't see why. We don't... None of it makes sense. Nothing that happens matters. Like, so Elijah Wood and Lily Sobieski are teens and Elijah Wood gets into the caves that are going to save humanity. Yeah, the The U.S. government... Built caves in Missouri. In the soft limestone. Seems like a bad idea, but okay. So there are caves. He gets in. That's great. He has a loophole where he can get Sobieski in if they're married. So they get married. All well and good. The bus comes and picks him up, and then her parents aren't able to go, so she stays. And her parents let her? Yeah, they just let her. They don't, like, push. Lily Sobieski has an an age gap sibling. Yeah. (laughs) Like, there's there's a large... There's a large gap there. She's 16. The baby is a baby. And instead of just like pushing the baby into Lily's arms and going, this is your fucking baby now. Tell them it's your baby. Tell them it's your baby and get the fuck out of here. You are getting on that bus, Missy. Like if I was a parent and like, yeah, I'm not. So I know there are parents who are just like, don't tell me how to raise my children. But it's like, yeah, I'm going to tell you how to raise your children. Get your Fucking Get daughter your child on the bus. On the bus. And For then, Christ like, sake. make the soldier. There are soldiers. There are soldiers. Make the soldiers physically put her on the bus. There's a lot of stuff in this movie is that is really dumb. And I, like, Armageddon gets a lot of flack for being the dumb one. I think that's what's so annoying. But like, it's dumb in ways that are like, I'm going to suspend disbelief for this because it's science and who cares? It's well, and like, this is, this is dumb about the emotional stuff. Yeah. Like this is bad screenwriting where like, I don't think Armageddon is bad screenwriting. It is like, who gives a shit screenwriting? We, yeah. we want crazy thing to happen. We don't care if it's physically impossible or right. completely ludicrous. We're going to make the asteroid the size of Texas because I fucking want right. it to be. <laughs> and like, it's more ostentatious in its mm-hmm. stupidity. <laughs> but, yes, ostentatiously stupid. But Deep Impact is just stupid in its stupidity. Like, there's no joy to the stupidity. No. And it, that's the difference. It's just tiresome. Yeah. Elijah Wood's family is in Richmond, Virginia, and they're going to Missouri. That's a long drive. And they get to Missouri, and Elijah Wood decides to go back. And his parents, once again, his parents don't stop him. Just parental malpractice all through this film. Like, I'm sorry, young man. You are not going back to get your dumb girlfriend who decided to How are you going to get there? How are you going to get there in time? You're in Missouri now. You have to go back to Richmond, Virginia. Oh, and then, like, I don't know. There's a lot of geography stuff in this that I'm like, "Mm, 
see, because you're pretending to be a serious, grounded, scientifically accurate movie, I'm going to notice when there's this big, like, you know, everyone is trying to drive away from the eastern seaboard. They were in Richmond, Virginia. There's a sign that says Virginia beaches six miles. And it's burned into my brain because I was like, wait, were they driving east? Because... Richmond, Virginia is nowhere near the Virginia beaches. All they had to do was have them be in Virginia Beach in the first place. Why make it Richmond at all? Also, this is kind of a minor thing, but the entire country looks like Southern California. How interesting. Hmm. Fascinating. Driving through Ponderosa Pines, (laughs) famously native to Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, you know, it's irritating how stupid this movie is in ways that like actually matter emotionally. Yeah. And so we haven't even talked about the crew yet. The space, the space crew. The people, the heroes, the The people saving the world. heroes. You know, whereas Armageddon is all about the crew. This movie has a crew mm-hmm. uh, filled with some names. A lot, like Robert Duvall. Yeah, Robert Duvall is like the old, wizened, like last man on the moon, and he's not respected because he's old, and the young whippersnapper, like hot shots, have to learn to respect him. And that seems to have been what the story was, but they just speed run through. Yeah. Part of the payoff of that storyline is is Ron Eldard and Robert Duvall bonding sure. on the spaceship. But like, it's not super set up that Ron Eldard is like the main antagonist bully kind of guy it's so generic too and like that feels weird in an episode where we're going to talk about how good armageddon is given (laughs) like how much michael bay plays into the archetypes this this isn't even archetypes it's generic that's the problem it needed the archetypes and instead everyone is just sort of bland paced and one character played by john favreau dies yeah and we're supposed to be sad, but we didn't get to know him. And like John Favreau was a good character actor in the nineties. Yeah. You know, he was in Swingers and Made and like he showed up here and there and it was always a good time. And here he just like everyone he gets else. Nothing. Just like everyone else on the ship, including Robert Duvall. None yeah. of them really have any defining characteristics. No, other than I feel like they tried to skate on the names. Like everyone's got a weird name on the Sturgeon. No, uh, Spurgeon. 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 Spurgeon Tanner is the name of Robert Duvall's character. And what? (laughs) Fucking what? Spurgeon. And they call him Fish. And it's obviously like, oh, you know, Spurgeon, Sturgeon. Sturgeon. And it's like, what does that have to do with anything? Why is this in the movie? Yeah, there's (laughs) so many. Why did you name him this? There are so many things where you're just like, why is this in the movie? Like, of all the things to focus on. So Spurgeon, after Oren is blinded by the sun when they're trying to drill the nuke into the comet, he's blind, he's on the ship, and Spurgeon just starts reading Moby Dick, and we just stay in that scene for a little bit. And it's like, this is clearly supposed to be the payoff, but I don't feel anything being paid off. A payoff to what? Like, there was never a mention of Moby Dick earlier in the movie. No one quoted Moby Dick, to my knowledge. Like, that should have been a setup that's just like, haha, I'm gonna read Moby Dick now, and it'll be a fun bonding moment. Maybe... Oren is like, oh, Moby Dick's annoying, or the, what is that? I've never heard of it. There's just nothing like that. And like, that's not the biggest deal in the world, but it is indicative of the whole problem with this mm-hmm. movie of like paying off things that were never set up in the first place or setting up things that just disappear entirely. There's all these things like Taya Leone's father Has issues. It, is, is in a May-December relationship. Like his new wife is just a couple years older than Taya. 
Taya, and that's a big deal. And there's a scene where she kind of gets drunk and yells at them in the beginning. Taya Leone's mother is played by Vanessa Redgrave, and like Max from Mission Impossible. And like we love Vanessa Redgrave, sure. And she brings like gravitas, she, yeah, and like, like and lo- just life, yeah. To a, uh, an utterly thankless role that I don't understand. Again, why was this even in the movie? It's almost comical. Like there, when Frodo and is marrying Lily Sobieski, their wedding scene, which is I have some real notes for for the DP on this because there's like a, a tiki torch flame that appears behind the efficient's head, and it looks horrible. It looks like his head's on. It fire. It looks like his head's on fire, and it's like, how did no one know? Did you shoot this like in? 15 minutes? I think so. Probably. Maybe it, maybe it was a pickup. Yeah, maybe. But Th- this the, movie screams of reshoots. Reshoots. So their wedding montage is intercut with Vanessa Redgrave's character committing, committing suicide. Sort, sort of. Kind of? I mean, no, she does Clearly, commit suicide. Yeah. Like it's announced later on. Again, another She's thing dead. that happens off screen where we see her looking sad. She's putting on She's makeup. She's putting on makeup, but like we don't see her take any pills. Yeah. We don't see her like Doing, drink a bunch yeah. even. She just kind of leans back and looks off sadly. And then a few minutes later, we find out like, oh, your mom's dead. And it's just like, well, it would have been good to have actually seen, seen that. that? Also, why was it intercut with the wedding? These characters don't know each other at all. No, what were you trying to tell us? See, right. th- like that's that's a really bad it's editorial a bad choice. choice. It's a really bad choice. This movie is so all over the place. Again, Morgan Freeman is the president. That's a good casting choice. I feel like he was the president in everything for a while. Yeah, he disappears he, yeah. for. 30, 40 minutes at a time, and then comes back, gives some sort of like science lesson or speech to the American people, and then disappears again. And it's this fascinating thing of like watching Armageddon and getting swept up in the emotion of of whatever montage we're in, of Mm -hmm. a speech given by some no-name actor who plays the president in Armageddon. It lands so much harder Mm -hmm. than a speech given by Morgan Freeman. Freeman. And part of it is because like the images that are accompanying Morgan Freeman and speech are not inspiring at all. If and there are any, it's usually just him. It's usually just him looking kind of sad. sad and like there's no real vibrancy no. to the frame or anything. Like the equivalent speech that we're thinking about in Armageddon, there's just all these gorgeous images. It's just, like Coke commercial shit, but it's like all around the world. Right. We get like all sorts of beautiful images of people gathering to pray, running across a field. It's just beautiful and kind oddly like inspiring. Yeah. No, that's the thing is like this is Michael Bay at his peak when he hadn't been totally just overcome by jingoism yeah. basically. There is a lot of that. No, there, there is. But... Yeah, there's there's some politics in here that are interesting, but like if you get Morgan Freeman to be the president in your movie, and he has to give a speech about the end of the world and may you know, God bless us all and protect us and all that stuff. And you botch it this bad. That feels criminal. Yeah. Like to feel nothing for Morgan Freeman. Nothing. You know, saying these words and it's just like it lands like a wet fucking fart. <laughs> I found myself a little angry at times. Yeah, it it felt like a lot of waste. And one thing you pointed out that I feel like should be mentioned is the budget for Deep Impact yes. was about half 
yeah. of the budget for Armageddon. Um, yeah. And like, okay, sure. You've got a lot of limit. You've got more you've got limitations. limitations. You don't have the helicopter. <laughs> you can't get all the helicopters. You can't be throwing hundreds of cars around. Right. But the thing is, you don't need, you don't need that. that. If you if you really want to do as your comet's going to hit the Earth movie, and you really want to make it kind of grounded, that's fine, and you can do that for eighty million dollars. But you need to focus. You it really you focus. can't you can't have the big ensemble. Personally, I would have chosen either like the president and his team. Or Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood, he discovers it, and then he's this kid who's sort of on the periphery seeing these powerful people try to figure out this thing and how he deals with it. And What does the world look like when people think it's going to end? Yeah. Like, And this movie hints at that yeah. stuff in really interesting ways that I would have loved to have seen more of. Because but again, it, most of it happens off screen. Yeah, there's sort of a, a children of men kind of vibe mm-hmm. in parts where it's like, yeah, things are going downhill in a way that Armageddon never does. No. Armageddon has a very optimistic, weird Right? It's like, oh, everyone's just going to, like, maybe we're all going to pray. pray about it. Whereas, yeah. you know, Deep Impact is uh, a lot more nihilistic mm-hmm. about it. And you could have leaned into that, kind of had, like, contagion a little right? bit. You know, like, you've got a year. Okay, the comet's going to hit in a year. It leaks out. We've got a year to figure this out. And you could see grifters and charlatans like you do in Contagion. Mm-hmm. You could see, like, how society crumbles. The, as the much doomsday as, preppers. Yeah, as much as Morgan Freeman Freeman tries. tries to say, like, we are going to keep paying our bills. Yeah, we're going to keep weird. working, which, keep like, working. Do, like, that is a really fascinating glimpse into, like, it was a kind of unintentional prediction of, oh, the of world COVID. is, kind, yeah, the world is ending, but you still have to go to you work. You still have to go to work and do your and little pay. make work tasks. People are dying, but yeah, you have to work. You got to work. It never feels intentional. Like, when he says you're yeah. going to keep going to work it's and like, paying oh, your bills, it's inspiring. No. It's like, I'm not going to fucking work. No. I'm 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 going to go to a Bacchanal. I'm going to go to New Orleans yeah. and party. Like, fuck this. I'm out of here. I'm not going to pay my mortgage. Are you fucking fuck kidding you. me? So really, I think the big thing about Deep Impact is just what a missed opportunity it is. Yeah. And so many things that it could have explored. So many interesting elements that would have differentiated it from Armageddon in a way where it would have really worked. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, you can't compete. Armageddon's got a bigger budget. It's got Bayhem in full force. But <laughs> Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. I mean, everyone. And, like, you've got a great cast. Yeah, you so good. And if you kind of focused and made it, like, almost like ER with a comet. Yeah. I think that would have been fascinating and very fun. And very in her, in her wheelhouse. In her wheelhouse, uh, in Mimi Leader's wheelhouse, and just very focused and energetic and different. Like, a comet yeah. from a smaller point of view would have been fascinating. And then... That would have helped sell, like, we hear that the that the missiles didn't work. We right. hear that, that then we have the a drilling reason. didn't work because we were never on the ship in the first right. place. We're not privy to these decisions being made. Exactly. We're just learning it like everyone mm-hmm. else. Uh, I recently learned about the literary concept of the least knowledgeable character oh. and how crucial that is, especially in, like, high concept, usually fantasy, sci-fi, etc., and how crucial having a least knowledgeable character as kind of a point of view character to pull you along and to 
have us come into the world of Deep Impact through Elijah Wood as our least knowledgeable character, really delve into his emotions, his family's emotions, Lily Sobieski, like making tough choices right. and having to deal with violence, with, you know, scarcity, with grifters. Yeah. That's something. And if you had it where he isn't getting the information, even though he's the one who kind of so yeah. quote unquote discovered this comet, he's not getting all the information. He's just privy enough to bigger decision makers, but he's just a kid. So yeah. they're not really giving him all the information. Mm-hmm. I think that could have been really interesting. Maybe these grifters are trying to take advantage of him and his family because right. he is kind of famous now. There's a lot there mm-hmm. to check out, to explore. And it just, it, None no, of it. it never does any of that nope. from any of the perspectives. We spend the most time with Tia Leone, who is arguably the least interesting character. She's the most, she thinks she is the most knowledgeable character, yeah. and that's kind of a problem. Yeah, and maybe she thinks she's the most interesting, but like her and her weird foreign dad, who's just not an interesting, warm character at all. No. You know, she goes to see him on the coast and dies with him. Yeah, she gives up her spot in the cave. Yeah, it's like, for him? Right. Like, he kind of sucks. I don't want to, I wouldn't want him to be the last person I'm hanging out with. He just sort of seems he, he like a cheated loser. On, the implication is that he cheated on her mom with this young, you know, woman. young woman. And I buy that he would do that, his yeah. characterization. But it's just like, who cares about having some sort of father-daughter reconciliation? That's not interesting. Like, no. Or not with these people as we've gotten I to guess know that's them. It. That's, yeah. the, that's the real that's problem. The problem. Like, I could see that as... Again, if Emmerich did it, it would probably I mean, work. That's the day after tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> like, father-son reconciliation. It's there. Yep. But, you know, the son in the day after tomorrow has an arc. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Jake Gyllenhaal has to, like, learn to come out of his shell and take charge and right. be a leader. Right. And mac on Emmy Rawson. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Taylor Leone's arc is to forgive her dad and reconcile with him, but I just don't care. I don't care. It's so boring. It's so boring. The movie starts spending the first 25 minutes faking out this sex scandal in the White House is sort of indicative of that, of just like, all right, we're setting up this thing that doesn't matter and you don't care about, and then we're going to abandon it, and that's that. And, and we we're never on to see the James Cromwell again. Yeah, and then we're on to the next boring thing that you don't care about. And that's just the whole movie until finally the goddamn comet hits. And like, it's fine. They do okay, given, given the, the, budget. the budget and the limitations at the time, but it also feels like one of those things where it's just like, yeah, you couldn't really render water that well at this mm-hmm. point, so having it hit water... Water was maybe not the was best choice. kind of a rough choice. Yeah. Uh, you could have just vaporized a city. You could have just had it hit land. You could have had something else happen that might have been a little easier for your 1997 computers to render. Even then, even that big impact, the deep impact the at deep the impact. end is a little underwhelming. Yeah. And what's funny is like it flips what Armageddon does where like Armageddon's big impacts all happen in the beginning. Mm-hmm. There kind of is no final and then they kind big of, impact. That's true. The destruction of New York and a couple other there's like a Hong Kong. Hong Kong. There's a final impact that destroys most of Paris. Not uh, the Arc de Triomphe. Not, not the Arc de Triomphe. Good for them for great, great building yeah, there. Very um, solid. Armageddon never lets us forget the stakes. And that's really crucial to yeah. a successful movie. <laughs> Like a successful disaster movie. So I guess that's probably now we can talk a little bit more about 
Armageddon itself. King shit. I mean, Armageddon is the vastly superior movie, and it is sort of, again, malpractice to have all these critics saying that Deep Impact was like the better one more because it was more serious and it's just like it was more boring boring. armageddon is a deeply dumb movie it's fucking stupid and like that but it is one of those things like uh one of the more famous little anecdotes i think it's on the dvd commentary or something where ben affleck relates how uh he was telling michael bay like why wouldn't they just train astronauts to be drillers and michael bay is like just shut the fuck up man (laughs) just shut the fuck up and like yeah he's right Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. It is funny that I really loved Armageddon because it's so stupid. And as like a tween teen, I was kind of a like, stuff should be smart all the time. I can see that. Yeah, of course. Because like my whole life revolved around being the smartest for various reasons. Mm -hmm. But I, 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 I loved this movie. I didn't think it was stupid. That's fascinating. So... I watched this movie just before I got into my everything has to be serious Mm -hmm. and dark and Mm -hmm. brooding before I became kind of a little film shit. (laughs) And I loved it as well. I thought it was great. Like I said, I had it on VHS, watched it a bunch, just had a great time. And then kind of throughout my teen years and 20s was very much of the mind like, oh, it's stupid. Like Michael Bay's dumb. He's all done. Stupid. Uh, I need serious. Like I need Jim Jarmusch. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, And like, I still like Jim Jarmusch, to be clear. But I also like Michael Bay most sometimes. Early Michael Bay. Early, 90s Michael Bay. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe Ambulance is good. The drone work looks amazing from what I've seen from the behind the scenes stuff. So that's cool. But like in this movie in particular, in this run of like this and The Rock and Con Air, he really understood the balance of just Bayhem, everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> uh, but like, there is a balance with actual character beats and, and humor, emotion, humor. Like, there were a few points at this at, at this most recent rewatch where I like. It didn't tear up, but, like, I felt myself getting genuinely emotional. You get little chills. Like, when the president gives his big uh, speech and there's the montage, and just before Bruce Willis blows up the asteroid, and there are these little moments where you just get a little chill. Like, yeah. oh, goddamn. And, like, like, don't get me wrong, this is the corniest fucking movie. Everything about Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler's storyline is the cringiest shit imaginable. Oh it's, it's so... deep cringe. so cringy. You really see the beginning of Michael Bay's weird dad obsession, Ooh, like father-daughter. Pro- overprotective dad. It's overprotective dads and pedophiles. Yeah. And, and it's this, weird. This weird incestuousness that kind of works its way in like there's just this weird sexualization of daughters Mm -hmm. and the overprotective dads who need to protect them and And there's just a whole bunch of underage sex jokes a lot of underage sex jokes steve buscemi is a sex pest who's you know constantly asking like wait how old are you how old are you and it's i didn't know she was I didn't know what age she was. Like, hey, I'm like, oh boy, man, this, this is, does not age ugh. well. The cast of this movie is, is so good, pretty great. Oh man, Michael Clark Duncan, uh, rest R. in R. peace. Uh, I didn't realize he's been gone for ten years. Yeah, 2012. Now. That's that's such a shame. such a bummer. That's such a shame. He's such a presence, such a joy. Uh, Will Patton. I have had a fondness for Will Patton since this movie. I love seeing him. I'll try and watch everything he's in. You've got William Fickner, 
Owen Wilson, Peter Stormare shows up, really and having his great. having his run in the '90s. He had just come off Fargo. I mean, Billy Bob Thornton kind of being his most norm. He's core. so normal. This was my introduction to Billy Bob yeah. Thornton, and it wasn't. You know, it took a while for me to realize. Oh, he's a freak. He's a gigantic weirdo, but uh, he's just a normal in a, guy in, in, in a good way. I like interviewed him uh, when I was working at Variety, and it was like a fun interview, but real freak show. Real weirdo. You got Keith David, Jason Isaacs. That's an insane. I mean, yeah, it's cast. a great. It's a great kind of a lot of Michael Bay regulars in mm-hmm. there. Uh, Bruce Willis at the top of his game. He. This was also like I had like a Bruce Willis fixation after this movie for sure. Interesting. For not a Ben Affleck. It's very. very I don't know what that's about, especially because like I was never into blonde dudes. Hmm. Really, like, but I don't know. Bruce Willis. He was doing it for me in this movie. Huh. Yeah. Well, people say I'm a Bruce Willis type. Oh, I'm always saying. Get that a lot. Yeah. Uh, Always hearing that. Yeah, so you've got your kind of typical Michael Bay cast. Unlike Deep Impact, everyone here knows the movie they're in, and Mm -hmm. they're having some fun with it. Fun. There is fun in this movie. There is fun and momentum, whereas Deep Impact is a slog. Armageddon is nothing, is oops all motion. Yeah, that's not to say this is a perfect movie. No, there's problems. You could lose probably uh, conservatively, I would say even 40 minutes. Yeah. You could lose 40 minutes from this movie. Come in a little under two hours, maybe. Yeah. It's really good that this movie focuses on the space guys. (laughs) Yeah, the oil drillers. Um, That's great. We get to know them, but like... Michael Bay is so efficient, and this was a screenplay written by like nine people, including uh, J. including J. J. Abrams. J. J. Abrams. I think that's why structurally, or one of the reasons, it's structurally pretty pretty sound, sound. Uh, and does a great job introducing characters. J. You know, J. Abrams can introduce a he character. can introduce a character really fucking quickly. We Doesn't should, know what to do with him after, no, that, but he can introduce him. But like when it's only one movie. Sure, no there problem. There we go. That's fine. We didn't need the training montage to last. Well, there's the training montage that goes on a little too long. That could have been a lot of fun, but it just drags on a bit too A bit too, too much. There's, there's a few repeated beats in this movie yeah. that you're like, all ah, right, all right. We didn't, right. Need, we didn't that. need that. There's a couple scenes where there's like a line or two that's just selling past the clothes. Yeah. And like... Well, they all go off base for one final night of, you know... Debauchery. Debauchery before they go up to space. And like... They get into some of them get into a bar fight and get, get arrested. arrested at, but then there's no follow through on that. Yeah. Like, does the government have to bail them out? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like that could have been a fun scene. And I suspect that scene was shot and ended up getting cut. Yeah. But that begs the question why not cut? The all whole of that. thing. Again, if you're going to cut a storyline that much, you gotta, you gotta just cut, you gotta cut the whole thing. Take the whole tumor out. Yep. You can't leave. You gotta get the it. whole tooth. You can't just. You can't leave the roots in there. No. They'll get infected. Yeah, because like you could have had them even if you wanted to still going out and going to the strip club. Or like a couple of them. Yeah. Like have Steve Buscemi take out his $100,000 loan, yep. go to the strip club, have Will Patton have his little moment with his son because that does get paid off at the end. It does. Although they also set him up as a gambler and the and that never and really that never gets paid really... off. So it's like, maybe just have the one thing. He, yeah. He abandoned his child. And yeah. Has I've, I've, abandoned, I've my... abandoned my boy. There is actually like, you know, a kind of there will be blood moment because they're oil drillers. Well, sure. Although you could say that's that tweet just like has only ever seen there will be blood. <laughs> maybe <laughs> there will be blood vibes. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't see there will be blood until like 
Yeah, we watched it a together. month ago. Yeah, nah, a couple, couple months, months ago. ago. What is time? Who, who's to say? It's um, great. It's very good. I had a, I had a good time. I didn't realize how funny it was. It's funny. P.T. Anderson then, movies are funny. But then I like told people. I was like, yeah, I watched. Uh, there will be blood. Like no one told me how funny it was, and people were like. It's not, it's not funny. I was it's like, are you kidding funny. me? It's very funny. Come on. Armageddon is also funny. Like intentionally. Yeah. That's the thing is like Michael Bay gets all this shit for being stupid, but like he knows what he's doing or he did know what he mm. was doing. Like he understands his audience. He understands comedic timing. He understands like montage and how to put together a scene. Like he's not dumb. He does understand filmmaking mm-hmm. on, on a scale that... Pretty much no one else has really managed to match because like there are bigger budget movies now. But other than someone like James Cameron, I don't think there's really anyone who could take that mayhem and make it his own, make it mayhem. (laughs) It is funny you say that because uh, there is this little anecdote from uh, an interview that Bay did um, where he talks about Armageddon. They had to do the whole movie in 16 weeks and he would redo the entire third act if he could. I actually thought the third act isn't too bad. Yeah, I didn't have any problems it's, with it's, it. I think some of the action needed to be better articulated. Um, it was tough because they're on the asteroid and things It's like, very disorienting. It's very disorienting. And I thought that was sort of a, an intentional choice. Yeah. But I could see, like, it's a little muddy in parts where Michael Bay movies usually aren't. Yeah. Anyway, Michael Bay continues in this interview, the studio literally took the movie away from us. It was terrible. My visual effects supervisor had a nervous breakdown, so I had to be in charge of that. I called James Cameron and asked, what do you do when you're doing all the effects yourself? Holy shit. Yeah. So that is very funny. Called Big Daddy James. You gotta call Big Jim. You gotta call Big Jim, get him in there. He'll take care of it for you. (laughs) He'll he'll talk you off the the ledge. Kind of theoretical disasters. Well, disasters that are also in and of themselves disasters. Mm -hmm. Like Titanic was a disaster Mm -hmm. to make. And, you know, turned out pretty good. Looked looked great. And so that is, that's fascinating. Because, yeah, I would say, like, it's sort of uncharacteristic some of the stuff in the third act of like it's a little messy it's a little mm-hmm. harder to follow than yeah. usual but i kind of equated that to like the later transformers movies where it becomes all spectacle and no cohesion like it's really hard to follow the action i thought that was sort of bay's tendencies starting to pop up in mm-hmm. sort of a similar way where as much as i love return of the king you <laughs> see some of peter jackson's worst yes. tendencies just start to bubble yep. up that would then later in king kong and just the hobbit become a real problem yeah and it's not a problem in armageddon but it's mm-hmm. interesting that maybe it's also like studio interference or maybe the studio being like jesus christ we, we gotta, gotta get, get this, this out. out especially because i don't think it rose to like legal action territory or maybe there was some kind of legal thing where one of the credited screenwriters for deep impact claims that you know he had a lunch with a disney executive who took copious notes and then whoopsie, Armageddon gets put into production pretty quickly thereafter, so... Okay, but also, like, if you are having a lunch with an exec at a competing studio, like, he's taking notes and you're giving him all the information about the movie that you are currently in production on, it's kind of on you, man. Don't do that. Yeah. You know, and like, okay, you shouldn't steal somebody else's movie idea. 
That's fair. But they did a better job. That's the thing is like they did what Deep Impact should have done, which was focus on one story. That's what makes it work is they are all working to defeat the same antagonist. Right. And it is treated as an antagonist. Like the the asteroid in Armageddon is almost anthropomorphized. It's almost like it's another character in the movie in the movie but like it it needs to be we need right. to like really root against the, the asteroid. asteroid and like it goes haywire at the end and is exploding everywhere and it you know almost kills bruce willis before yeah. he's able to set off the nuke and like it is an antagonist yeah in a way that the comet in deep impact is not no we don't really know anything about it we don't ever really see much, much of, it. of it like they do go onto it for a minute and they're drilling into it and it happens very quickly and then they're so off quickly you know john favre dies and they're out of there and that's that and then they blow up the nuke and then we get a press conference saying it didn't work and like they show a bad computer you know graphic of how it's now two comets it's just like oh all right well okay cool i guess so what are we doing now oh we're back with vanessa redgrave We've killing killed herself yourself. why why, why? We're, we're focusing a lot on laura ines uh who is great on er as carrie weaver and she has a child oh, i have yeah. a child <laughs> Sorry, that line reading by Billy Zane will forever. I'm going to get it tattooed. Oh my gosh. Instead of actually having a child, <laughs> a tattoo of Billy Zane yelling, <laughs> I have a child. child. Um, Why did you get that? <laughs> I, I approve of this. Right. I think it would right, be right. very funny. A lot of screen time spent on that. A lot of screen time spent on like news editorial meetings. Yeah. For no reason. You could have had like that be your story if you wanted to have like the scrappy newsroom trying to get the truth out about this thing. About this, this extinction disaster. level event. Yeah. Okay. I'm kind of with you there. Yeah. Like an Elijah Wood is the source. You know, yeah. If you had sort of like the insider, the government is trying to cover it up and they're trying to get the truth out. That could have been a really interesting mm-hmm. movie. Like there are so many ways you could have worked with your more limited budget and still told a really compelling, interesting fun story pick out of a hat any of these storylines that they kind of look at Mm -hmm. if you had just chosen any one of those you could have crafted a great little movie and like it you know it just so happens that touchstone did pick one of those storylines and focused it and And made a good movie it works it fucking works like and it is it is interesting you know this is a pre-9-11 movie the focus on class Mm. In this movie where it's, it is sort of trying to undermine faith in our government institutions in, in some ways, because Bruce Willis is like, you guys are fucking all of my designs up. You fucked up my drill design. Like we're going to have to come in. We're just fucking oil drillers. We're like, just these ne'er do well, you know, these like roughnecks. roughnecks. They, they call themselves Boy. roughnecks a lot. Yeah. There's sort of a weird contradiction in Armageddon yeah. where it is both rah-rah Americana jingoism mm-hmm. and... And America's institutions need the common everyman to save them. Private enterprise. Right. Like the private enterprise oil drillers Drillers. are going to save the world. Oh, no. Yeah, no, the politics in this are not great. Uh, (laughs) And like there is this good old boy. Yep. 
you know, we working get shit class. Done. We get shit we done. We get shit done. Blue collar, like your Boy Scout astronauts can't do what we do. Yeah, like it's a slobs versus snobs kind of oh, thing. Yeah. Of like your smart ass NASA scientists, yeah. you you're just sitting around coming up with ideas, and you can't do better than this. Like this is the best idea you have. Well, get the get the big tough guys in mm-hmm. here. We'll take care of it. But then the NASA people are the ones who like stop the the nuke from being remotely detonated that too. That is true. So. You know, there's layers. There's some layers here. There are some layers. And I think it is because after 9-11, Michael Bay was able to really commit, as so many others did, to just all naked kind of fascistic Mm. Americana military jingoism. Mm -hmm. Pre-9-11, there was still a lot of sort of Vietnam hangover. Mm. Uh, Desert Storm. Desert Storm. I think Armageddon suffers from wanting it both ways and like you do get billy bob thornton you know as sort of the head nasa scientist yeah. and like and jason isaacs is not a villain in this even no. though he is a genius the smartest he, man in the world like it is kind of nice it is that nice. that there's this sort of like at various points jason isaacs character is like a genius who is like this is the way things need to be done but then bruce willis is like you fucked up my drill design yeah. i'll fix it for you right but then Jason Isaacs is like fair enough. He's not a dick. He's, he's not, not a dick. Like so, it's it's sort of like slobs winning the snobs over. I think almost. that's what it is. Yeah. Like they do learn to work together. They do kind of and come in, together onto the same to, team. Sort of contra the military, which is yeah. maybe the most interesting thing. Well, about the president this movie. and the military deciding to unilaterally like they're going to blow up the nuke. They want to have control before they run out of time, and then they yeah like they have to work together to defuse the nuke. You have William Fickner and Bruce Willis have kind of this standoff mm-hmm. and then it's very it, tense. Willis is able to convince him mm-hmm. and they another weird timeline thing where they have this whole conversation oh. with like a minute ticking down on the bomb. Yeah, it, there are so many points at this movie. So like the whole movie, they're like we have 18 days until this asteroid the size of Texas hits the earth and it's like that is not enough time no. for anything to happen whatsoever. They only have like 8 hours on the asteroid itself yeah. to drill 800 feet. But they have 12 days of training, and it's like, maybe get the ships up there a little right? sooner. Right, maybe they needed to just give a little more time for everything that involves yeah. a ticking like, clock. Like, the movie probably should have taken place over, like, a month or six weeks, mm-hmm. at least. Yeah. Because, like, a year is too long, unless you wanted to do that, like, the dissolution of right. society. Right, and Armageddon does Doesn't not. That is not that's that not all. That's not the kind of bayhem. No. That we're looking for. Not not in this movie. That's fine. They'll cut to shots of the asteroid and it seems to kind of jump back and forth in space. Mm-hmm. One shot, it looks like it's a few hours away from Earth. And the next shot, it's back behind, behind the, the moon. moon. So it's a little like... Oh, and, the, the, right. you know, there's like 30 seconds on the nuke uh, as they're trying to disarm it. Or like Bruce Willis only has a minute... Mm-hmm. To you know, he, set he's to set off the nuke, and like it's all just like there is too there's too much happening. Yeah, um, which is sort of of a piece with like this movie maximalism. Yeah, like this movie has this maximalist uh, aesthetic mm-hmm. where 
everything is, is happening. the most. Yeah. Everything is a superlative. And that, that yeah. the, in the dialogue, every, yes. you pointed this out. So, for example, like we were just talking about, Jason Isaacs is introduced as the smartest man in the world. Bruce Willis is the best driller in the world. This is the biggest asteroid of all time. Like, <laughs> it's the hardest substance anyone has, has ever, ever had, drilled yeah. through. Every single thing, these are the biggest spaceships we've ever mm-hmm. built. Just on and on. Everything the is the most, the biggest, the strongest. Every superlative you can yeah. possibly think of. Which is very Michael Bay. It is. Uh, and but, it, like, it works in the context of this movie. Yeah. There are just lines that are sort of almost like if Aaron Sorkin turned into the Hulk. <laughs> While he was writing his script, because <laughs> holy shit, Aaron Sorkin also is prone to hyperbole. Hyperbole, mm-hmm. but like this is Aaron Sorkin turned to eleven of like he's the smartest man in the world on the planet. Yeah, like, and it's like, oh, all right, Jesus Christ, calm down. He got seventeen degrees from MIT in one <laughs> afternoon. Oh, and Steve Buscemi's character he's a got, genius. got two oh, doctorates yeah. by twenty-one, and right. it's just like, all right, all right, we get it. Yeah, you he's know, very smart. Fine. That's great. It really is sort of, if not the apotheosis of Bayhem, it's right up there. You know, alongside really like the run of The Rock and Con Air and this Bad Boys Two, like. This was really his moment, mm-hmm. and he's still a successful filmmaker. I know Ambulance sure. didn't do that well. There's another one on Netflix that I tried to watch, and it wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he has fallen off in a similar way to how uh, Roland Emmerich has fallen off mm-hmm. in recent years. Yeah. And it is a shame, because I feel like we do need these blockbuster maximalists right now. Controlled Bayhem is very... Please, like for yeah. for all of Armageddon's faults, for all the kind of weird politics, it is such an enjoyable movie. Yeah, it's just fun. You know, it's fallen out of favor to have the like turn your brain off and just enjoy. Sure, but I do actually think there's a little bit of like turn your brain off there's, and enjoy Armageddon. Yeah, there's there's, there's room in this world for like I know we we end up often talking about messages and politics and and whatnot and like that's all well and good but like I am a firm believer that not every movie has to have good politics or has to be in line with the beliefs that I have or whatever like I like Armageddon it's cool and fun I did recently listen to a podcast that was kind of talking about something similar to that, where it's just like so much of how we consume media these days is in its relation to our antagonists or enemies or the people we perceive as bad. And Mm -hmm. like, does this piece of media ruin their day? Mm -hmm. Is this piece of media countering them? Mm -hmm. And that goes kind of both ways. That goes where like, are you triggered, you lib snowflake? Or... (laughs) Uh, conservatives uh, too stupid they to understand. Hate they hate this. Like this really cuts them down a peg, and like that gets exhausting after a while. No matter where you are on the political spectrum, yeah. like some of the stuff in Armageddon is a little weird, but it doesn't feel antagonistic really right. towards anyone. It's just like we're having big dumb fun. Look at this crazy shit that's going we're, down. We're setting a nuke off, and it's going to blow an asteroid in half, and the halves are going to miss Earth by, by four hundred miles. miles, which is like below most satellites yeah like earth still has gravity i think those would crash but that's just my point that's exactly it like i don't actually care i don't actually care that's the kind of thing that i am very willing to suspend disbelief over because it doesn't actually like matter yeah it's the kind of scientific inaccuracy that like 
That's not hurting anyone. Who cares? They blew up the asteroid and it's missing Earth. Great. Hooray. Hooray. I feel I, felt, I feel a huge thrill. Oh, like woo. let's watch a weird music video of Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler's wedding. Yeah, it's over, weird. The end credits know. are very weird. So going back to like the controlled chaos of Bayhem mm. and the maximalism of this style of filmmaking between him and Emmerich in particular and James Cameron a little bit, I feel like there is something missing. So we talked about everything everywhere all at once, which has a minuscule budget compared to these but movies. But feels very ma- maximalist in, feels, in a good way. And in a way that is... Uh, of a piece with movies like this where you just throw everything on screen mm-hmm. and i would love to see what daniels can do with a bigger budget oh my God. you know yeah. give him a michael bay budget and see what they do with it that could be a lot of fun it might be a disaster who knows but i'm willing to give that a try hell yeah whereas like so many other blockbusters now are just kind of grim and dark and slow they're slow and kind of plotting, and the action is paint by numbers. It's, just, it's also like the stories are just not well constructed Terrible. or structured. Terrible. I guess structure. it's kind of the same thing, but it's just kind of like this is dragging ass, and like I don't care about anyone. You haven't laid the groundwork. I mean, I think we might have even talked about this on the podcast before, but I remember when we watched the core kind of early on in the pandemic and we're kind of surprised at like how well structured a screenplay it is the core suffers from some very bad special effects yeah even by 2003 standards it's pretty rough but you're absolutely right the characters the story the plot points it's actually a well-written script Mm -hmm. that's sort of hampered by just bad vfx and like kind of a lingering like really the core yeah it's sort of uh, one where it's a little harder to turn your brain off but like it's better written than most action blockbusters today. Yes. I want movies where characters have arcs, storylines aren't abandoned. I'm okay with like characters that maybe feel a bit more kind of like archetypes. In a movie like Armageddon, which is a large ensemble, you kind of need to use the shorthand of kind of broad characterization. We don't really have room for an Andrew Garfield and under the banner of heaven or whatever. Ooh, brother. (laughs) We don't have time for that. We just need Guy Horny or Guy Gambler or Bruce Willis is feels weird that his surrogate son is fucking his daughter. Okay. Which, yeah, that is kind of weird when you say it that way. There's even a moment in the beginning when he's talking about all the people he needs to assemble, his mm-hmm. Avengers assemble yeah. moment. And he literally just says, like... Rattles off. Rattles off their names, what they're good at, and one thing about them. Boy, that's just efficient it's screenwriting, very efficient. Isn't? And it is. It works because it's so quick. And you have Michael Bay making amazing images. There is this random shot where you just get like a guy on a horse with helicopters rising behind him in a sunset. And it's just just one-off shot. This was the car- uh, Owen Wilson's introduction. And it's stunning. It's like it one of the- amazing. It's and- one of the m- most well-composed shots put to film and it's just this throwaway. Yeah. Like, oh, this is Owen Wilson's character. He's on a horse. There's helicopters. Like, Jesus. You know. This, is, this would be the crowning achievement achievement of another movie's entire production you know again when you have 140 million dollars in 1990 
seven, I whenever guess, whenever they shot this. Sure, but also, but also, movies today have 200, 250, it's sometimes true. $300 million, and you don't get anything near, near that. Nothing even Nothing. remotely close. And this movie has like a several dozen shots like that, and they're just like, yeah, tossed off. Like, oh, yeah. here's another one. Here's the most spectacular image you've ever fucking seen. <laughs> There's going to be seven more in the next montage. You know, we're going to be moving the camera around constantly. And like, you know, sometimes you do get a little seasick. You can like count on one hand the number of static shots in this movie. Usually it's like an insert to show, you know, Bruce Willis grabbing some bullets before he shoots. (laughs) The camera is just constantly moving and like... Not in a Kurosawa way. That's the master of keeping things moving while while not making people feel seasick occasionally. But coming off the heels of Deep Impact, you're like, oh, God, yes. Please. Motion. Motion. Momentum. When Morgan Freeman is telling the world that it's probably going to end, we cut to Frodo and his family in (laughs) the living room. Yeah, and they're just sitting there. And it's literally them just sitting there watching television. Oh, it's so. And like, I think, you know, the camera is a little bit on a dolly, so it's moving, but it's moving very slowly and nobody is, no one is doing it. No one's talking to each other, looking at each other. Like there's no shocked expressions. Everyone just has the flattest look on their faces and that's it. That's all that happens. And we cut away from them and we don't see them again for however long. And this is just the antithesis of that entire Mm -hmm. thing. And I have heard the criticism and criticized myself like Michael Bay could maybe tone it down a notch from time to yeah. time. Yeah. Like sometimes it's okay to have a breather. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I guess like maybe when they're playing with the animal crackers, sure. that's sort of Things a breather. Slow down and... um, but it's still just so immaculately composed. Mm-hmm. Like they're by this random old gas station and there's like a there's tree a with lights tree in with it. Lights and it's a that, that reflect uh, on the hood of a yeah, BMW, of a BMW convertible. And it's just is it like, a Z3 or whatever? Yeah, it was the same one that James Bond drove in GoldenEye, mm. uh, which we should watch. GoldenEye's fucking great. <gasps> Ooh, I don't know if that's yeah, on the list. Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, oh, oh, we'll I mean, put that on the list. Yeah, Goldeneye's amazing. But uh, even then, when it's quote-unquote slowed down, it's still just to the max the whole time. And like, I think I could stand to have Michael Bay slow down a little bit for a few scenes here and there, let everyone catch their breath. So like, again, not a perfect movie, but boy, is it just a hundred times better than it's Deep a, Impact. It's just an enjoyable, and it's I, a fun time. You know, I would choose to watch Armageddon again over probably like 90 to 95% of all the blockbusters that have been released since, let's say, 2014. There's a few. There's, you know, you got your Mad Maxes in there. That was the first one I thought of. You know, there are obviously exceptions, of course. But most blockbusters these days, I'm just kind of Uh bored. Like, I end up watching them on a plane. Sometimes even then, I'm a little like, yeah, I'm good. And I turn it off after 20 minutes. It's one of those things where, like, I'll see someone in a row ahead of me watching it and be like, yeah, I'll put that on. And then I put it on and I'm like, eh. Armageddon, I'll watch just to watch. I feel like it's a it's a great example of what this podcast is. It really all about. is. Like, do I want to watch it again? Yes. Sure do. Gonna have I'm, a good I'm, time. I'm I'm in. So uh, I think next up is Independence is Day. Is Independence baby. Day for Independence Day. Hell so yeah. That's gonna be very exciting. So we're gonna go from Michael Bay to Roland Emmerich, the <laughs> the two kings of nineties blockbusters, Truly. really. I'm really looking forward to that because I haven't seen I, Independence Day. It's been a while Day since I've seen it. <laughs> decades. Yeah. Uh, So that'll be a lot of fun. Hell yeah. 
So see you next time. Bye.